People these days are seriously hung up on material possessions, things that will not last. Here's Pastor John Randall with a question for you to consider. There is a temporal kingdom, a material kingdom of this world, a kingdom of darkness. And many people are living for this temporal kingdom which will not last. It will come to nothing. Peter said, knowing that all of these things are going to be destroyed, how are we ought to live in holy conduct? Knowing that the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat, knowing that these kingdoms are going to come to nothing, how are you living? Are you living for a kingdom that is eternal? On behalf of Calvary South OC, welcome again to A Daily Walk. Currently, Pastor John Randall is developing a study in the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in chapter 17 today where Jesus is questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God is coming. Maybe you've wondered, is Jesus coming soon? And what will the world be like just before he returns? The Lord answers that for us. He says that it will resemble the days of Noah and of Lot. Here's Pastor John to elaborate, beginning in Luke 17, verse 22. Look at verse 22. Then he said unto his disciples, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, well, look here, or look there. Don't go after them. Don't follow them. For as the lightning flashes out of one part under heaven, shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. What Jesus shares with his disciples here, towards the end of the 17th chapter, parallels to a certain degree, what he shared in the Olivet Discourse found in Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25 with much more detail. This is somewhat of a abridged version of what he shares there. But nonetheless, Jesus gives them some insight concerning his second coming. And the first thing he points out, number one, is it will not come immediately. It's not going to happen like that. When Jesus died, rose from the dead, and then ascended, He was there with his disciples on the Mount of Olives. He ascended back to glory. The disciples were standing there, the book of Acts says, looking up. And the angels said to them, why are you standing here? The same way that he went up, he's going to come again. And the disciples believed that. But they believed it was going to happen immediately. Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. This was the expectation. So they're waiting for him to come. And they were living as if he could come at any moment. Look at the epistles and you will find this emphasized over and over, being prepared, being ready for the return of the Lord. That is the way that they lived. They thought he was coming back in the the early church. He didn't come yet. It wasn't immediate. And in the interim of that time, from then even to the present time of the church age, people have been saying, oh, the Messiah is over here, or he's over there, or he's coming on this day, or he's coming on that day. Let me just say something. When somebody says he's coming on that day, you can know this, that's not the day. So mark that down. He's definitely not coming today. (laughs) But nonetheless, it was not going to come immediately. And Satan knew that people were anticipating the immediacy of the return of Christ. And so he began to take advantage of that. One particular Jewish scholar pointed out that in the course of Israel's history, since the time of our Lord to the present, there has been over 64 different individuals who have claimed to be the Messiah. And there's probably even more than that. He's over here. No, he isn't. He's over there. No, he isn't. It's not going to be immediate. The second thing Jesus points out about his second coming, not only that it would not be immediately, but number two, he tells us here, it would not come secretly. It's not going to be over here in this corner or over there in that corner, and it's going to be something hidden. 
Jesus said it's going to be like lightning flashing from one end of the earth to the other. It's going to be very visible. It's not going to be a secret when Jesus comes back again. The Bible tells us, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye shall see him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Every eye means what it says. Everybody's going to see him. Listen, when the sun doesn't give its light and when the moon no longer shines and all you see is the glory of Jesus coming back, yep, that's him. You will know it. The Bible tells us in Zechariah chapter 13 that when he comes back, those who will see him will say, where did you receive those wounds? And he'll say, I received these in the house of my friends. They will recognize him. Zechariah chapter 14 says when Jesus comes again, that in that day he will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem to the east, And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from the east to the west, making a large valley. Half of the mountain shall go toward the north and half of it shall go toward the south. That's pretty obvious. You'll know it's him. It's not going to be a secret when Jesus comes back again. But Jesus also tells his disciples before his second coming, it would not come without his suffering. Look at what it says in verse 25. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. This point right here was something that the disciples struggled with tremendously. They could not, for the life of them, understand why it was Jesus had to go to the cross. Every time he talked about it, they didn't want to talk about it. Every time he pointed to it, they wanted, Lord, don't talk about that anymore. They wouldn't ask him about it anymore because they were fearful. And the closer they got to Jerusalem, as he set his face toward Jerusalem, they were worried. They were troubled. Lord, should we go into Jerusalem? You know, there's a lot of people that want to kill you there. Jesus would say, for this reason, the Son of Man has come. He is going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed into the the hands of sinful men. They're going to spit upon him. They're going to blaspheme him. They're going to scourge him. They're going to crucify him. And the third day, he's going to rise again. They only heard about the the beatings and the sufferings and the crucifixion. They could not remember about the resurrection. But he was going to suffer. If Jesus did not come and suffer for humanity, then he could not come and reign in his kingdom throughout eternity. That is why the Jewish people, when Jesus did not fulfill their messianic desires, their messianic picture of him going in and overthrowing Rome, they turned on him. At one moment, they are saying, Hosanna, save us now. At the end of the week, they're saying, crucify him. We will not have this man to rule over us. Why? Because he did not fulfill in his first coming what they desired to see, which would take place in his second coming. He had to first come and suffer and die so that man could be saved. But when he comes again, he will establish his kingdom, the Bible says, upon the earth. Jesus now looks back at two Old Testament Events to describe the condition of the world before his second coming. What's the world going to be like? We know that there's a king. We know that there's a kingdom coming. What condition is the world going to be in before he comes back? He tells us here by looking at two Old Testament passages. The first, he refers to the story of Noah. It says in verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the son of man. What were they doing? It says they ate, they drank, they married wives, they were giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. 
In Genesis chapter 6, when you go back and look at what was taking place during the times of Noah, you can read, for one thing, there was a population explosion. Untold numbers upon the earth. We also know that violence was prevalent, covering the earth. Furthermore, the Bible tells us in Genesis that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That was the condition of the earth during Noah's day. It was wicked, it was evil, it was vile. But meantime, people are just going on business as usual, drinking, eating, building, doing whatever they're doing without any thought of what Noah was asked to do. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, the Bible says. And God warned him of the judgment that was to come. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews 11 tells us that Noah by faith began to build an ark, prepared an ark for him and for the saving of his family. And for the next 120 years, Noah starts building this ark in his driveway. I mean, he's he's building this ark. It's enormous. It's huge. And during that 120 years of building, 2 Peter chapter 5 tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness. With every swing of the hammer, With every log, every beam, he's always preaching righteousness. He's warning people, there's judgment coming. There's a flood that's going to cover the earth, and everybody's going to be destroyed. But what happened? The people had never seen rain like that. They never heard of that. And so they mocked him. They ridiculed him. They did not heed the warnings until it was too late, and they were all destroyed. He was a preacher of righteousness. What's going to happen before the second coming of Christ? People are going to be going about business as usual. They are not heeding the warnings. They are not prepared for judgment that will come. We are living in such a day. People just don't think about it. They're not concerned about it. They're they're just overlooking it. They're just going about business as usual. They might see something happen on the news in some foreign country. They might hear about some attack over in Iran or some other place. And and that might, you know, awaken them for a brief moment until they turn the channel. Nobody's really thinking about what's going to happen. And here we are proclaiming, preaching righteousness and a judgment to come. Just like Noah was. But the people were not heeding the warnings. They were apathetic. They were not attentive. And there are many people like that today. They refuse to consider and they are not prepared. Jesus uses yet another example. What did the condition of the world be like before his second coming? Well, he tells us it's going to be like the days of Lot. It says in verse 28, Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. What were they doing? They ate. They drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed? Going back to the book of Genesis once again, considering now the story of Lot. Lot had decided to separate himself from his uncle Abraham. And Abraham gave him a choice. Which direction do you want to go? And it says that Lot looked towards Sodom. Looked towards Sodom. That's where it started. And he saw that it was like the plains of Egypt. And so he then pitched his tent towards Sodom. The next time you see Lot, he is in Sodom. And he has a position of authority at the gate as a judge, as it were. Abraham is informed that God is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah for their immorality Sexual immorality, homosexuality, all kinds of things taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God is going to judge them with fire and brimstone. And so he warns Abraham. Abraham then begins to intercede on behalf of his nephew Lot, knowing that he's living there. And he says to the Lord, Lord, if there's 30 righteous, will you spare the city? I'll spare the city. 20, 20, 10, Lord, if there's 10 righteous, he works his way down. If there's 10 righteous in that city, I'll spare the city. 
There wasn't 10 righteous there. But those two angels went down to Sodom and they came to Lot's house and they warned him saying, this city is going to be judged. Unless you get out of here, we, we can't judge the city. And so Lot being warned about this, what does he do? He goes to his sons-in-law, the book of Genesis tells us, and he warns them. But when he warned them, they laughed at him. They thought it was a joke. He had lost his influence. He had lost his witness because he had compromised so much. They did not believe him. And so Lot had to be physically taken out, led by the hand by these angels with only his two daughters and his wife. And they were taken out of the city and they were told not to look back. And when they were taken out, that is when judgment came down. People were not expecting it. They were not anticipating the judgment that would fall. Jesus then begins to consider with his disciples what would happen during the second coming and what they were to do. If all of these things are going to happen before he comes, if there's judgment coming, if there's cataclysmic events that are going to be poured out, if all of these things are happening, what are we supposed to do when we see this? He tells them. Again, he's speaking to Jewish people, talking about what's going to happen, and he says in verse 31, in that day, he who is on the housetop, and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who's in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. Jesus is talking about what is going to take place prior to the second coming. Again, Matthew chapter 24 fills in some of these details. But listen carefully. Once the church is raptured, and we do believe and teach here that the rapture of the church will come before the great tribulation period, the last seven years of human history as recorded in Daniel chapter 9, the tribulation period that will come upon the earth. We believe the church will be taken before. Why? For one thing, we're the bride of Christ. We have been blood-bought by the Savior. And he has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. And we believe that God knows how to deliver the righteous before judgment comes. And so the church being delivered, what happens next? The tribulation period begins. Seven years of unprecedented tribulation upon the earth. Jesus said it'll be like nothing the world has ever seen before, nor shall ever be. The kings of the earth, great men, rich men, commanders, mighty men, slaves, every free man, they will hide themselves in caves and rocks, the Bible says, in mountains, and say, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. That's what's coming. But during that last seven-year period, the Bible tells us that there's a man that will rise to the surface, an antichrist. And he will solve the problems in the Middle East that will continue to go on until he arrives. And he will make a covenant, the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 9, with the nation of Israel. He will make a covenant with the nation of Israel and he will rebuild their temple. For the first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period, they rebuild the temple. They begin to worship once again. By the way, side note, the Jewish people are anticipating and waiting for their temple to be rebuilt. If you go over to Jerusalem, you can go into the Jerusalem Institute and you can have a tour and they will show you all of the, the instruments and things from the clothing of the priests to the, to the various lavers, to the various things that they were that are written out in the book of, of Leviticus and Exodus and Numbers and all these things that they were to make, they have made them. All they need now is the temple. And of course the ark. But these are the things they need. They need a temple. They're expecting a temple to be built. They're longing for it. And guess what? It's going to be built. It's going to be built by the Antichrist. 
And in that first three and a half years, they will have this treaty, this covenant. But at the midway point of the seven-year tribulation period, the Bible tells us that the Antichrist will go into that temple, that rebuilt temple, and he will commit what Daniel refers to, what Jesus talks about as the abomination which brings about desolation. And what is that? It is when he sits in the temple and demands to be worshiped as God. And when that happens, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, all the Jewish people better flee for their lives. Because the Antichrist is going to unleash all of his wrath and all of his fury upon the Jewish people. What is the purpose of the tribulation period? For one, to judge a Christ-rejecting world. Secondly, to bring the nation of Israel back to their Messiah. The tribulation period is referred to in the Old Testament as Jacob's trouble, Israel's trouble. That's what's going to happen. They are going to see their Messiah. They're going to turn to their Messiah during that period of time. And many of them will be preserved. Some of them, the Bible tells us, will flee to the rock city of Petra and they will hide there and the Lord will protect them. The 144,000 witnesses will be proclaiming the gospel. Two witnesses will show up, the Bible says. So there's going to be a radical revival taking place even during that period of time. Angels flying back from one side to the other declaring the glorious gospel. But Jesus says, when you see this happen, flee. Don't go back into your house and try to grab what you can. You need to, you need to run. You need to flee. There's no time for that. If you're going to try to find your life in the material kingdom, you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life in the spiritual kingdom, you'll find it. And Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. As a lesson, remember repeatedly Lot's wife. What happened to her? She looked back with longing and she turned into a pillar of salt. This statement that Jesus makes, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will preserve it, is mentioned in Matthew 10, Matthew 16, Mark chapter 8, as well as John chapter 12. This was something that was extremely important. There is a temporal kingdom, a material kingdom of this world, a kingdom of darkness. And many people are living for this temporal kingdom, which will not last. It will come to nothing. Peter said, knowing that all of these things are going to be destroyed, how are we ought to live in holy conduct? Knowing that the elements are going to melt with a fervent heat, knowing that these kingdoms are going to come to nothing, how are you living? Are you living for a kingdom that is eternal? Then in verse 34, Jesus says something else. I tell you that in that night, in the night, it says, there will be two Two men in bed. It's not speaking the word men. You'll see it's in italics. It's just a general term of human beings. Two people sleeping. The one will be taken, the other left. Two women grinding together. Speaking of working at a mill. One will be taken, one left. Two men in a field. Two people. The one will be taken and the other left. Now, some people have looked at this particular passage. And again, I encourage you to read over the Olivet Discourse along with Luke chapter 17, and I believe you get a full composite of what Jesus is saying in its entirety. However, some people look at this passage and they say, when Jesus is talking about one will be taken, the other left, it's referring to judgment. One will be taken in judgment, the other left. Personally, this is my personal conviction. You can study it for yourself, but this is something I feel that when this speaks to me of one being taken, one being left, keep in mind the context. Jesus is talking about things that will happen before the second coming. Before the second coming, things will happen. Like what? The rapture of the church. One will be taken, one will be left. That is my personal conviction. I'm not being dogmatic about this, but I can be dogmatic about the fact that some will be taken and others left. That you can be sure of. 
Two people in a bed, husband and wife, one's taken, the other's left. That's a startling thing to consider. Two people working in a field, one's taken, one's left. Two people driving in a car. You can, you can imagine the scenarios. It goes on and on and on. And some people say, oh, that's ridiculous. I don't believe that. Come on. But the Bible teaches that. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that one day the trumpet's going to sound. The voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to be with the Lord in the clouds. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. It's a comforting thing to know that Jesus is coming for me. That is if you're prepared to meet him. If you're prepared to go. If Jesus were to come back today, and he could, would you be taken or would you be left? Oh, Pastor John, I mean, come on. I read the Left Behind books. I mean, listen, this is, this is reality. <laughs> this is reality. Imagine what it would be like on the earth when that happens. It's hard to even fathom. The question is, are you prepared to meet the Lord? Will you be taken or will you be left? The Bible tells us that in the last days, there will be perilous times that will come. Listen to this description and tell me if you think this parallels what we're dealing with at the present time. In the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of what is good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof and from such people, Paul said, turn away. We're living in these days. Listen, the Bible says that the Lord is gonna interrupt a generation. He is gonna interrupt a generation. I'd be happy if it's this one. Interrupt this generation, Lord. You're the king. Your kingdom's coming. I'm longing for it. I'm praying for it. I'm praying for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is presently in heaven. And the Bible tells us that that will take place. You've been listening to A Daily Walk with our pastor and teacher, John Randall. We're going through the Gospel of Luke right now. To get the CD that contains today's message for a cost of $5, go online to adailywalk.org or call us at 877-242-0828. That toll-free number once again, 877-242-0828. We also house our recent programs at adailywalk.org, and you'll find them on our mobile app as well. Do a search for Calvary South OC and download it for free today. Hi, this is Michelle Randall with some exciting news about my new 366-day devotional, A Daily Walk for Women. You know, it's my prayer that these words from my personal devotional life will encourage you in this season that you're in and throughout the year. It's my hope that this devotional will really prime the pump and get you moving in the right direction each morning and be sort of like a pep talk from your personal cheerleader. I pray that you enjoy this labor of love as you look to Jesus each day. Recently published and expanded to 366 readings, you can now be encouraged each day for this new year. Maybe request one or two extra to give away. Request a daily walk for women for the special price of $15 when you call 877-242-0828 or go online to adailywalk.org. 
Please remember, it's your generosity that helps us remain a biblical voice on stations like this one all across the nation. With your help, we're delivering God's good news at a critical time in human history. No gift is too small to be used by God in great ways. Again, our number is 877-242-0828 or you can donate online at adailywalk.org. You know, we're reminded on a continual basis that the Lord is doing great things through the radio and the internet today. And maybe he's doing something amazing in your life. We want to hear about that. Pastor John would be very encouraged by what you have to say. Write to us today by email at adailywalk at gmail.com. That's adailywalk at gmail.com. We'll leave you to consider this question from Pastor John. The question that you have to answer today as we conclude is this. Is he your king? Are you part of his kingdom? The other thing to make note of when you look at these two examples in Old Testament of Lot and Noah, will you notice that they were both delivered before judgment came? They were both delivered before judgment was poured out. And I believe that God will preserve and God will deliver his bride before judgment is poured out. But the question is, Is he your king and are you a part of his kingdom? Because there is a kingdom that is coming one day and what you decide concerning Jesus here and now will determine whether you are part of that kingdom. But if you are part of that kingdom, your future is glorious. For the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter five that he has made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign with him upon the earth. I pray that you've surrendered and submitted your life to the king of kings and the Lord of Lords. Well, tomorrow on A Daily Walk, we'll be encouraged to be persistent in prayer as our series in Luke continues with Pastor John Randall. A Daily Walk is a presentation of Calvary South O.C., 